I'm so happy to see some familiar faces. Um, so I want to give people a few more minutes to sign in because we've we've got a lot more uh, registered than are here yet. So I'm going to just sit tight for maybe two more minutes and see if we can reach critical mass. Okay, so I think we can get started. I think more people are gonna trickle in as we go along, but uh, it's nice to see you. I, I um, Jeff, I think I last saw you at Omnidon a couple of years ago. Uh, we were in the same group. Oh so, yeah. Hello again. <laughs> yes, yes, good to see you. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm really excited to get this going. And I just, um, I'm Sean Killingsworth and uh, I'm the new curator of the newly relaunched second Sunday poetry series. Um, and as I said, there, I believe there are going to be more people trickling in. I am um, recording this so that we can post the video on the website in the coming days. You'll find that at secondsundayreadings.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter um, at, at Second Sunday Poetry. I'm actually going to just post this in the chat really quickly so it's easier because it's not necessarily the most uh, obvious spelling. So um, there's no Facebook or Instagram account, uh, just Twitter so far. So um, let's see, just to give everybody a little background, um, the second Sunday poetry series originated in 2017 uh, at Britt Marie's restaurant on Solano Avenue in Albany, California. It was uh, due to the inspired request, the request of a local restaurateur Barb Reynolds, uh, who was friends with him. Uh, she created a poetry reading for just one day in June with fellow poets, Catherine Jordan and Penelope Barnes Thompson. The reading was packed, the restaurant owner was pleased and a series was born. SSPS flourished featuring a wide array of emerging and established poets for a couple of fun years, but then the pandemic hit and SSPS has been up until now on hiatus for it's been over a year and a half. Um, in the meantime, Barb decided to put down new roots in the LA area and also Provincetown. So she asked me to take over the series. Um, and although we cannot safely resume in-person readings yet, I'm thrilled and honored to keep SSPS running online. And I wanted to say a special thank you to Barb, who will probably be watching this recording in the coming days, um, whose presence I miss already for creating this series for us all. So I would like to begin. Um, uh, I'm so thrilled to, and I'm thrilled to launch with these two amazing poets. Joining us are Georgina Marie and M.K. Chavez. Uh, if you guys want to wave, everybody can see who you are. And um, Georgina Marie will read first. So she is the Lake County Poet Laureate for 2020 through 2024. 
She's the first Mexican-American and youngest to serve in the role for the county. In June 2021, she was selected as a Poets Laureate Fellow with the Academy of American Poets. She is the Literary Coordinator and Poetry Out Loud Coordinator for the Lake County Arts Council, co-creator of the The Blooms Poetry Column, and Poet in Residence for The Bloom. In 2020, she was an Angie Lacasio Scholar for the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference and is now a member of their board of directors. And most recently, she was a Brereton Scholar for the Napa Valley Writers Conference. She's currently working on her full-length manuscript. She lives with her rescue dogs, Kenya and Nico, and her formerly feral cat, Misty. You can visit her website at www.georgianamariepoet.com. And I'm putting that also in the chat. So, with no further ado, Georgina, please take it away. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for being here and for having me. I didn't mention it in my bio, but I was also the judge of the Marine Poetry Center's poetry contest for high school students this year, which was really great to be a part of that. And MK is a dear friend of mine, so I'm really excited to read with her today. So I'm going to read a kind of a mixed collection of poems that I put together for today. Um, some pandemic, some miscellaneous. So we'll just get started. The first one is cold gin and a pandemic. A swig of fresh lime squeezed over ice. San Francisco's junipera gin with a garnish soothes the overwhelm of more bad news and sudden heat. What I learned at home today. The length of estrangement becomes short in comparison to the weight of regret. 100 more days of solitude, a poet's irony. Bare white walls wait with open hearts to catch our sighs. How much I miss my father now that he is dead. Toss back tonic water with an extra kick. Catch the sun warming the side of my face through the glass door into the dining room. Now a reflection of how many years have passed. How the idea of a father became a ghost. How a ghost haunted me into adulthood. How adulthood became a poem always in the works. How poems became home. How hard it is to live inside this one. Thank you. And I should give a content warning for some of the other poems I'll be reading today, uh, just for various uh, triggers. So just be aware of that. And this next poem is called Obituary. And it has an epigraph from Victoria Chang, who is now famous for her obituary poems. I can't ask him because on the other side, there are no words. Obituary. March 18th, 2020. Father, Papa, Padre, absent. An obituary does not require fact. Suffered from many illnesses. Omit drug use and domestic violence. Played multiple sports. Did the batter's swing give an advantage in how to backhand? He had a love for plants, worked hard as a landscaper, created gardens, built homes, erected Balneario de los Romanos, painted daughters with bruises. An obituary does not require truth. Shattered both legs, 26 surgeries, dedicated to supporting his family, post-divorce times three not included. Fishing was his passion. Eat what you kill. Do not kill the dogs, but beat them when they don't learn. He could tell you and show you anything and everything there was to know. 
overcoming his abuse the exception. He was always about family and loved gatherings. He loved all of his children more than anyone will ever imagine and would do anything for each and every one of them, including reject them. He had the biggest heart and broke mine and broke bodies. In the end, his wife was not my mother. In the end, I'd rather be nameless. So a lot of my poems do deal with grief and trauma, especially during the pandemic. We've all had so many losses. Um, I actually had the pleasure of studying with Victoria Chang this summer, which was incredible. And so this next poem was prompted by an offering that she provided, which was to write a self-elegy poem. So that's what this is titled, Self-Elegy. My passing left behind words of hemlock and mountain stones. What I worked for as wordsmith, poeta del dolor, Fioranetta, as a fellow writer exclaimed once, removed my lean back body from below Canocti Avenue oak trees. Before this, I kept repeating to myself how my presence was not needed, would not be missed. Does anyone see me anymore? I left behind language of peonies and out of season blood tulips, a house of deer sternums and collected budgie feathers, overused books of poetry and a pain I couldn't bear anymore. Did I leave an impression on the hardwood dining floor where my dogs loved more than this world and I would lie together when the afternoon sun hit the cherry veneer just so? The aureate sun shimmering on our backs as we flipped from backside to belly like pearlescent fish out of water. Do the hounds call for me when traffic nears the house I once inhabited? Do they still sleep where my bed was placed, king-sized, bought just for them with a small corner for myself so they could live out their rescued lives with ample space? Did I regret the leaving? Yes. Did I know it was coming? Yes. And this next poem also has an epigraph um, from Sylvia Plath, who's one of my favorite poets. An arena of yellow eyes, watch the changing shape he cut. And this poem is called, Praise Be the Shape of Continuity. That after the sharp metal crash briefly cut into the shape of nature, all of my bones remained intact. That after the silver collision of man-made machine with cedar hollow hair, Life and lung were granted a continuance, mine at the least. That since birth, I still don't know if there is a God. Yet the heavens, if you call it, didn't care. That when the blinding of ice-white headlights met sable buck eyes to arrive at an agonizing stillness, I couldn't look away. I saw grace and tragedy. That empathy riddles my bones, and it hurts like hell like most lessons do. That when the officer said he was gone, an antler missing, I mourned the coronet, hurling main beam of his anatomy. That making spirit contracts with four-legged creatures makes me feel less alone, but their deaths burn. That the moon glint on a still body pain to no end, so that dog death, sister death, dear death sprouted me a golden backbone that silhouetted beings in the night could have been watching, could have swooped down, torn my words, scratched and clawed straight through larynx. 
that life is a dance to avoid orifice and offal, that the length of trauma covets a shorter way out. Thank you. So I'm gonna move on to, um, I know those are really heavy poems to start with, by the way. So I'm gonna move on to some other, um, other topics here. Um, so this next poem is Other, and this is a dedication to my dogs. I have two dogs that are, that are my world. Other. Year after year, day after day, seconds after seconds, canines multiply like rabbits in a springtime frenzy. Two of them have found their way on my now saliva-lined sofa, sleeping soundly, sighing softly as they inhale safety and exhale their worry in the comfort of their stable home. She, named after an African country, Kenya, motherland, for her strength. He, named after a seminal word, Miko, chief, ruler of my heart. Both breeds considered a threat the Mexican-born German in her, the fight in him, all existing in me. My Mexican gene seen as a threat to America, home of the brave and the drug-sniffing Latinx, the underdogs we all are, human, animal. I see these big magical beings as holy, like I see my brown skin, a reflection of earth, of soil, of how we are all multiplied in this world how we start out as cells and blood and there is no brownness or whiteness in the beginning. How we all enter this world to a first breath, as science, as magic. How some of us go from there to needing to be rescued, from being discarded as nothings, as others. How we then rescue each other. Thank you. Um, so I thought I'd throw an unrequited love poem in here, because what would a poet be without one of those? <laughs> and uh, this poem recently won an award by Nomadic Press, actually, which it will be coming out soon, published. Ocean birds speak, human silent. I came here with someone, but am alone still. The blackest of Brant's cormorants fly overhead, bellies full of fish and sand my throat full of sand and resistance, to tell him the truth that I want more. Marine birds inhabit the Pacific coast, the listening cypresses. I inhabit silence, speak to the sun through muteness. Rays of gold can hear my words long to become sound as they are born in lung and air. The innards of a golden voice, lux of mica in my mouth. The birds want more of this action, my sound to sound like theirs, an unsilent voice, a calling, a cry, a pleasure. I tell him, yes, I ask, yes, in mind, not verbose. He tells me no, in assumption, mine. Fear of rejection becomes a silencer. A song heard in the distance, not of the birds, hums. Never again, says Doris Day. Never again, says this day. I walk away with someone, but I'm alone still. The blackbirds praying for my sound. So I have a few more poems. And um, they're fairly new, pretty new poems. 
So this next one is a, um, the prompt was to write an ode to humility. So I decided to write this poem, Ode to Humiliation or Humility. How about the time my sister and I scaled down a hillside like crippled crustaceans, nearly tumbling down high ground at Point Bonita, a crowd of scoffing faces formed below. They insisted on waiting and watching, our faces red as a searing sun, a furious man coming up to us at the bottom, scolding. A friend of mine died doing that. Or how after reaching Wright's Peak atop Mount Kanakdai, I met bird gods in the wind, became lost looking up to the sky on the way back down, my face golden with morning light, slipped and plummeted down steep terrain on the one patch of mud in eight goddamn miles, sliding down on my right knee, cutting into walnut skin, fresh mud, torn leggings, fellow hikers passing by me outside of the parking lot restroom, whispering, did she fall? No shit. Great idea to wear a strapless bra to vinyasa. It's snapping in two after four sun salutations. The accidental heart emoji sent to a love interest. After three years, falling in love with him. After three years and three days, deciding I'm not in love with him. How I want to feel in love with myself. How my animals love the suicide out of me. How I realize I am lonely just enough to not want to die to feel shame at ever wanting to die, when my sister did die and none of this mattered. So I have three more poems I'll share. The next two are um, pretty brand new pandemic poems, so they're untitled. Nine months of isolation leads me to so many choices. Which corner in the house should I sit in today? Which room is the most exciting to pace in? While hoping for a compassionate outcome for America the Great. Small animals scurry in the morning frost. My cold skin sizzles in the warm electric waves of an old space heater. Beds empty and fill in ICUs across the nation. How many citizens stop to consider if the beds empty from recoveries or from deaths, or do they care? I stir a tablespoon of honey into hot chamomile tea to slow my anxiety. Move from this plush pillow to that one. Turn to glance out the window to see a crow gawking at a morning dove. And I wonder if this disease would lead them too to turn apathetic in the face of collective hardship. I prefer crows to humans. I prefer solitary corners in a lonely house, inside jobs, outward epiphanies. That to hide is to retreat from the sense of a lost self. To humanely appeal to a call of the body is to withdraw, to remain inside. With doors locked, lights dim, candlelight bouncing off the walls, it is safe here. Home, a cocoon built with a warm, sheer interior, sheltered from trepidation, out of harm's way of another day of unsettling anxiety, of a colorblind republic, of a target aiming its way towards my brown skin, of all that is right outside the front door, when I dare to start a morning, slowly making my way into a blindingly white world. And this next one is also untitled. The sun careened off the mountain like a bronze mirror. At the same moment, I stepped outside to find myself. 
A woman argued how the only white she saw was of her genes and not her skin color, that my brown skin is colorless to her, that there is no difference in the scales of racial treatment. I walk barefoot on a cold evening when the warmth of the sun quickly retreats from concrete landscaping to soft dirt to lush emerald grass starting to spring itself into a new season. How can you not see the difference in these colors? How can you not see that skin does not blend translucent? Mud gathers at the base of the old sodden gutter after years of weathering finally caused erosion. Like my patience, when it is said brown is all the same. When it is said brown is below, is beneath. One day it will be when we are all beneath it. The only shared whiteness being the bones of our buried bodies. I'm gonna end uh, with a more uplifting poem. A lot of my poems tend to be darker, um, but they're certainly therapeutic in this world. Um, so this last poem is kind of an ode to my life here in Lake County. We have um, quite, a, quite a bit of wonderful wildlife and landscape. To be still is to be animal. How the sun glimmers and glistens through valley oaks on a rustic hillside. How the warmth permeates amber honey skin and a tense body loosens. How the ground cover of fallen autumn leaves aches of a soothing vibrancy. How I breathe between these happenings. How yearning for more makes the muscles weak, turns the heart to a tiny blue egg, an oval shape, a crack on all sides as if someone took it and threw it into the night sky. How the brittle shell was adorned with cornflower and flaxen how I came home to myself after the breaking, half human, half bird, how winter frost is arriving again, how a hunger remains, how the barrowing owl and the American robin observe witnessing all of this, how they don't swallow time in the same way or long for difference. What if all of this was enough? Thank you so much for listening, for having me. Thank you so much, Georgina. That was just wonderful. Such stunning images and tenderness. I just love those poems. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. And I'll go ahead and introduce our next reader, which is our host, Sean Killingsworth. Sean Killingsworth is a writer living in Northern California. Her work has been published in journals such as the Blue Earth Review, Type House Literary Journal, Stone Coast Review, Glass, a journal of poetry, Poets Resist, and other journals and anthologies. She received an MFA from the New School where she worked on the staff of Lit. She founded and ran a poetry reading series hosted by First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. Sean taught English composition for the City of University, sorry, for the City University of New York at York College and has led poetry craft workshops in Brooklyn, Boston, and San Francisco. She currently serves as the member's anthology editor for the Marin Poetry Center and is delighted to take up the mantle of curating the second Sunday poetry series. Thanks so much, Georgina. Um, I, should, I should add actually that I owe a debt of gratitude to the Marin Poetry Center for letting me use their Zoom channel um, so I didn't have to spend money out of pocket and get a new one for us. So I'm going to start with a poem about 9-11, so, so trigger warning there. Um, I was in New York on that day working and 
um, this is sort of a, this is what I, this is what I saw. It's called Towers Crashing. I was there and not. There in the elevator, people were talking about planes, some movie. Upstairs, my office view through thick plate glass, unremarkable, but in the financial district, something was appalling, unspeakable. And the phones were all busy. I couldn't reach anyone I cared about, and my boss gave me the death glare as I walked out. She still wanted to make that meeting. Friend and I walked down Broadway to West Forth, and I mean in the actual street, so bare as if all the cars had vaporized. We couldn't go any farther. We couldn't understand how empty everything was. A light ash falling, imitating peace. Um, so that is that concludes the 9-11 portion of today's presentation. <laughs> um, it's been on my mind a lot, but I will move on to some newer poems. Um, this next one is called The Myth of Me. My brain has some things to say to me if I can be persuaded to listen. Be free, be free, it whispers, but I'm only half listening. Hunger is a familiar visitor. Wise weather winds its way around me. I'm swaying but won't stumble. In the distance a bronze bear walks beneath a star Mouth open, nostrils flared to catch scent, red dirt hard and flat as paws leave claw marks. My body is a sculpture of razor blades, some facing in. And when my lover and I come together, we both bleed. Is this not the way to feed me? There are two wolves inside me, and one uses the other like a rag. Air is waiting to show me the way out. Um, this one is called Walking Meditation and was actually inspired by um, a walk around Lake Lagunitas, which is quite near to where we are here in Northern California. And it is one of the reservoirs that, that supplies water to the county that I'm in and, and a lot of the counties around here in the North Bay. Um, it's called Walking Meditation. A woman drives alone to the park. She's content in her solitude. She has snacks. She leaves her car in the parking lot and shoulders her backpack with water, sunscreen, granola bars. In the outside pocket is a notebook and two pens. She's come to the woods to think about herself. She is looking for a path. Her shoes make hardly any noise on the forest floor, soft as it is with old pine needles and bits of bark and tiny redwood pine cones, elk, clover, bay laurel, Noisy acorn woodpeckers fill their granaries. The air, almost minty, herbal, tonic. A rush of water several yards off, a hike, a walk in the woods, semantics. Beyond the stand of fire-scarred redwoods, an old log cabin, mossed over with pollen, leaf litter, abandonment. Beyond that, a single deer. Eyes the woman, ducks and vanishes. She thinks of the notebook, lifts her hand, drops it. It is possible she is not there at all. Um, we have 
couple of, let's see, this one's a little bit less um, depressing. <laughs> I think it's got some snark to it. It's called To Be Seen, To Be Considered, To Exist. When every deep breath is a suppression of weeping, when lips pressed together is an invocation to the goddess of indifference, a wordless plea for her embrace and oblivion, drinking only makes the pains and irritations a little distant, which is to say tolerable, but then the headache. A longitudinal study of 178 poets revealed tectonic plate shifting is a myth. A recent survey of MFA candidates shows that creativity is most effectively measured in fluid ounces. This town cannot make up its mind if it's shuddering out its last slow constrained breath, or if that mind has become overcome by ghosts. Who doesn't play among the white stones of a graveyard in childhood? Rainy as sand and edges worn by weather, the angels and obelisks guard the sprawling dead. As fireflies, they peekaboo through blue shadows. 64% of attendees at poetry readings report a lack of sobriety. Two in five American writers agree that breathing is unnecessary. Movies are all wrong. My life isn't an adventure or a love story or even a memorable tearjerker, though it has its moments. These people I live among exist behind a window I cannot penetrate, artfully wild and each exactly like the rest. I'm waving at them, trying, trying to catch an eye. Um, thank you. Um, I'm gonna go into a couple of um, eco sort of poems. Um, I think living in Northern California just makes it happen in you when you know, you're constantly surrounded with fire and drought and things on the brink of extinction. It's just always on your mind around here. So this poem is called Fire Season, which is what we're in the middle of right now. The scent of eucalyptus blooms in the heat. Long leaves like fingers point down to cyclists grinding away beneath them. Cobalt waters ripple like frosting across the bay. You'd never know about the deadly undercurrents from the beauty on the surface. A hill furred with dry yellow grasses caught fire yesterday. To live here, you must get comfortable with risk. The reservoir is too low. So many creatures will die this summer. Cedar waxwings, red-winged blackbirds, morning doves, mockingbirds, ravens, red-tailed hawks, and herons, blue and white, guard the houses and skies. Any bird is an omen. You know how to read it. And uh, this next poem is called Existential. First, we were killing the bees. Then people cultivated outrage and condescension and put white cubes of bee colonies on roofs and cities and suburban backyards at the edges of fields and read, wrote, shared, publicized, hashtagged all the ways we were terribly, shamefully wrong, harming not only bees, but the land and poisoning the earth, buzzing with anger, they multiplied the cube hives, wrote books, filmed documentaries, speechified against honey, and, con and consumption banded together with vegans and tree huggers and enviro terrorists and angry moms and millennials and went on speaking tours, filmed TED talks, lectured in elementary school auditoriums, made provocative art and poetry alluding to stingers and getting stung, being inflamed, 
reddened, hot, irritated, painful. And now we find out that the American honeybee isn't the issue. And the cubes were made with formaldehyde, so we're all fucked anyway. Um, my last poem um, is an homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, the anniversary of her death is next week on the 18th. Um, I actually wrote this last year right after she died, uh, thinking about, and, and I think it's especially timely right now, given what's happening in Texas and you know abortion rights. This is called Heritage. A hundred years ago, a neighborhood friend tipped them off helped my great-grandparents escape a violent erasure. Ukrainian Jews ran or died, their villages obliterated in the pogroms, and even the name of the shtetl is lost. Women in dirty kerchiefs pushed their families through woods to cities to boats where they boarded and weren't killed. My great-grandmother, Charnia, Nusya, her husband, young and strong, gripped the wooden rail, nauseous, pushing towards life, toward a future, still breathing. Renamed Charlotte and Nelson in America, they brought the future with them. My grandmother carried over in utero, rocked on a ship through the immigration lines in Philadelphia, kept pushing further north. Beverly Hannah was born five years before you. Like you, Joan Ruth, a dark-haired, blue-eyed beauty, also a scholar, a gifted economist, she told my father, her son, having children is the end of a woman's career. She didn't push, settled on teaching French. Your husband, more willing even then to step back and make room for you. Vivian Jean, my own mother, trembling with a Catholic fear of hell and strangers, pushed past the small town suffocation of a history of women staying home, the suffocation of the Oxford committee telling her she wouldn't get the PhD she'd earned because she had a husband. And why give a woman a degree a man needs more? So she fled, pushed away and onto a ship that sailed to New York from Wales with me in her arms to sunshine, birth control, another master's degree, a career. Ruth, a year and a half before you became a Supreme, I boarded a bus from New Jersey headed to Washington, saw with 200 other college women, loud and giddy, our youth and strength bundled with scarves and mittens and homemade signs. We marched to the White House, to the men in power, demanding our right to our own bodies, our lives. We felt such hope, it felt like a movement. But movements stall and sputter. Today is the hour of hope and desperation. Today we grind through the noon of bitter argument, grimaces, and underbreath curses. When our children worry that our rage will leave them parentless. Your death makes us fear we will lose everything you worked so hard to win for us. But we keep going, women pushing forward regardless, despite because of the struggle, wounds, barriers, prejudice, pushing for the rest of us, with us, the shuttles we come from, the families we love, we carry with us. Ruth, it's been a century at least. We are still pushing. That's it. Thank you. muted myself. Um, to move on, our last reader is M.K. Chavez. 
and I'm I'm delighted to introduce her. She has she's an Afro Latinx writer, educator, and coach. She is the author of Mother Morphosis, Dear Animal, and several chapbooks, including A Brief History of the Selfie. Chavez curates the reading series Lyrics and Dirges and is a co-director of the Berkeley Poetry Festival. She is a recipient of the Alameda County Arts Leadership Award, the Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award, and the 2021 San Francisco Foundation Nomadic Press Literary Award. She has received fellowships from Hedgebrook, Caldera, Canto Mundo, Community of Writers, Sitka, and Bona. Her most recent work can be found in the Academy of Poets Poem A Day series and at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco with the Voice of Trees projects. So MK, please uh, take it away. Thank you, Shun. Um, I um, wanna say that was a really amazing hearing both of you read. Um, Georgina um, sprouted from me a golden backbone is such an amazing line. And Sean, I, I have to say that that last poem, especially such an amazing poem to read really in the wake of Texas and what's happening there. So I really deeply appreciated um, the strength of that poem. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking that how, how I very often forget to do content warnings. And I, I feel like maybe I should just get a a t-shirt or a tattoo that just says content warning. Um, most of my work is got some level of reality in it, which also should come with the content warning. So um, that's just a disclaimer to say, um, I deal with some um, heavy uh, topics, I guess. My, I'm gonna be reading work for uh, the book that I'm working on right now and that book, the focus of the book is people who go missing in wild places. It's very much in progress. So it is, it is, uh, it's, it's going all over the place, um, but it does deal with missing persons and disappearance and things like that. Uh, I'm reading an excerpt and the pieces are numbered. So you'll notice that I am jumping around so that I can share different parts of the, uh, an excerpt of Almanac of Absence, which is one of the pieces in the book. One, when we lose someone, our world divides before and after. Two, sometimes we do everything we can to find them. Other times we are stunned. Three, Bloodhounds can track a living being or a cadaver. Some say a bloodhound can smell a violent death. Four, I'm haunted by the last time I saw her. Five, it took me a lifetime to realize when the moment of loss actually occurred. Six, not knowing it was the last time I did not say the words you imagine yourself saying. Seven, thank you, goodbye, don't go. I will never understand. Eight, there are different kinds of search and rescue missions. Nine, there are also search and recovery missions, which is something altogether different. 10. 
Some of us will search in every rock crevice, waterway, and inside the eyes of every person we meet. 11. A search comes to a point when we, where it becomes something else. 12. A father once searched an entire river for his son. He would tie a rope around his waist and then pick up a heavy rock that would bring him to the bottom where he looked in every place that his son's body could be. 13. The missing person becomes a constant companion, a fox stole around your neck, a ghostly weight. 14. After Janine was gone, I saw her everywhere. I cursed all the goths with their blue-black hair. Janine said her hairdresser wanted her to pick a different hair dye. You can't be witchy-poo forever, might have been the last words he said to her. 15. A list of that, the last thing I said to people I will never see again. I understand. Should I wait for you? Can't you just leave me alone? Good night. I said nothing. 16. It is easy to fall into a dream of loss, but it is equally easy to fall into a life of endless inquiry. 17. Hope is a word of unknown origin. It is both a noun and a verb. In one etymology dictionary, there are mentions of Old English and Germanic. They also mention that hope appears in the Bible. In the end, it says you should look up forlorn. 18, Keith Cormican has worked 125 missing persons cases. Of these cases, he located 32 bodies. He is known for being an expert in the retrieval of bodies from lakes and rivers, specifically Lake Tahoe. Once he found bodies that had been missing for over 10 years. Once he found a body that no one was missing. Frank Ahern used to find missing people. After a while, he switched. Now he helps people disappear. 20. At one point, I was writing a book about the night that my mother took me into the forest to lose me, a book about how nature saved me, the way she thought it would. 21. It turns out I'm writing a book about absence. 22. My father used to say, out of sight, out of mind. I carry that with me. 24. We aren't always haunted by what we lose. Sometimes we are freed. 25. If you want to disappear on purpose, you are advised to leave multiple trails to keep those who are searching busy. 26. There are conflicting opinions. Some say if you disappear accidentally, know that it may not, that it may not be easy to find you. One particular scholar says, it's not as easy as you would imagine to disappear. 27, 75,000 people disappeared during the Salvadorian Civil War. 28, 
In 2018, Los Angeles buried 1,457 unidentified bodies in their annual ceremony. 29, missing, lost, disappeared, MIA, astray, AWOL, away, unaccounted for, nowhere to be found, not present, absent, non-existent, taken leave, turned to dust, vanished into thin air, mysterious disappearance. Ralph Ellison, 30, Ralph Ellison said that when people looked at him, all they saw was the surroundings and figments of their imagination. 31, there are two worlds, one in which I exist and another where I was lost in the woods and never found. 32, when someone goes missing on the border, border patrol has to be reminded that it is their responsibility to respond. Advice websites tell, tell you to say, this is an emergency and this person's life is in danger. 33, guidelines about people gone missing on the border say search and rescue for the first three days, then look for them in detention. After a month, they say, consider the person has died. 35, you will need access to the internet to contact ICE and BOP. Some offices prefer phone calls. There's a special number if your loved one is a mother traveling with children. 36, when you call the Office of Refugee Resettlement, your only option is to leave a message. 38, the instructions say, sorry, but after a month, it may be time to start searching for the missing through the forensic system. They don't say what they are sorry, exactly what they are sorry about. 39, there are two states that can help you with a forensic search. Arizona is one of them. It will take you, it will take them four weeks to call you back. 42, if we are all connected, what does it mean that people disappear, that they are never found? that they don't want to be found. 51, chances of disappearing into the desert increase when border patrol intentionally scatters groups. 52, Operation Wetback was the largest mass deportation in the United States history. It estimated that 1.3 million were returned to Mexico, including many United States citizens. 53, there is a comfort in listing the most reasonable explanation for what has happened when someone goes missing in the wild. Lost and frozen to death, ate poisonous berries, fallen down a steep embankment, broke neck, ran into a bear. 54, Sometimes people just disappear. It's not a special occasion. They're simply moving through their day and then they are gone. Eighty-one. Does going missing 
make you the past and the present or the future? 82, when does one end the search for the missing? 83, ghost is a name for the company of the missing. Ninety. The question of whether men and women disappear into prisons at the same rate. 91. The question of who visits women who are in prison. 92. The question of these women. 93. There's a poem which centers the disappearance of a girl. In the poem, she has no name, just 14-year-old girl from Ojai. The poem ends in a confession that sometimes the writer is a terrible person because he feels that all humanity is lies and bullshit. The title of the poem is The Use of Poetry. 94, there are disappearances every day. People are left behind. People are forgotten. 96, when we say lost, we mean the concept of having no direction. 97, lost points to lost points to loss in the material realm. Sometimes we say, I lost my love as if we left it unattended, uncared for, like a dog tied to a street pole. 98, the lost generation is said to have been lost because they could not find meaning in life. One hundred and three, unclean bodies will be buried in unmarked graves. One hundred and four, because I did not know how to find my mother, she was buried with others who had been lost or forgotten. One hundred and five, the colloquial term for the unclaimed are Jane and John Doe. One hundred and six, my mother's name is Alicia. One hundred and seven. There hasn't been a day since I la since the last time I saw my mother that I haven't thought of her. One twenty three, a strange number of hunters have gone missing. One twenty four, some of the commonalities in the stories of missing hunters disappear at the point of separation, time of disappearance, disappearing near boulders, disappearing near water, disappearing during weather incidents, disappearing during geographic cluster effects. Canines can't find the scent or lose it quickly. Unknown cause of death. And I'm gonna end there, I think. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, MK. God, that was breathtaking. Uh, what a wonderful reading. Such amazing poems from both MK and Georgina Marie. I'm honestly so honored to be able to read with both of you. Um, and I'm so grateful for your willingness to share your work. Um, thanks everybody for coming. Uh, just to let you know, I will be getting this recording up on the Second Sunday Poetry Series website in the next couple of days, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. So you can rewatch it or share it with friends. Um, 
Also look again in the link for the chat to our website. And also please check the website for submission guidelines if you or anybody else uh, that you know of is interested in sharing your work at a, at a future second Sunday meeting. We'd definitely love to have you. So thank you again to everyone who attended and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye everybody. Bye.